Welcome to our True Crime, True Family podcast. Quarantine equals no life, so we've decided to start a true crime podcast. I'm Emily, and along with my mom, Kate, and our cousin Paige, we will be discussing popular true crime documentaries and cases. Due to sensitive subject material and explicit language, viewer discretion is advised. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. Today, we're talking about the shit show that is, you guessed it, Tiger King. This is the, uh, what was it, the beginning of COVID phenomenon that everybody got into and loved. And Kate's going to take us through the episode, and Emily and I will jump in with our opinions. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, this pretty much saved some people's sanity during quarantine at the beginning oh yeah <laughs> it, I mean it's it's just like a dumpster fire of people <laughs> it is a complete shit show and, and it's like a, an entertaining one at that oh I mean it's hard to believe oh, I like the I spent the first episode with my jaw just on the floor most of the time like these people really like they they stand by all of this. Yeah, they really believe in that man. Oh my god! I mean, they're just oh, oh. and they're all like Carol Baskin. She's just as bad as the other one. She just has a rescue added to her name. Yeah, if she thinks that that her uh, facility is any better than the other ones, she's kidding herself. Oh, he is well, and well, we'll go through it because I mean, I could sit here and just talk shit about these people for like six hours. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. So um, we're gonna go through this one episode per podcast because there is too much stuff to go through. More, more episodes per podcast. Yeah, and well, so so it starts out with you know Joe is calling someone from jail. Um you know, he was arrested for his murder for hire plot. Um, and then we kind of, they go through some of the headlines in the news and then you, you see the filmmaker, um, Eric good. And he's saying when he started like making this film five years ago, he had no idea what it was going, like where it was going to go and how ridiculous it was going to be. Um, I guess he was, he was originally the documentary or the film he wanted to make was investigating some notorious reptile dealer in South Florida. And while they were there filming, a guy showed up, I guess, to buy one of the um, venomous snakes. And when he was leaving, he was like, Oh, Hey guys, check out what I just bought. And so he takes them to the back of his van and there's a snow leopard in it. And so the guy asks him if, like, because it's a snow leopard, does it need to be refrigerated? And the guy says, well, no, not if they're acclimated to Florida. And, you know, like, the guy was just ridiculous. He said it's rarer than a clouded leopard. And the filmmaker said that encounter was set him up on his journey to to look further into these people that were owning like these big exotic animals um and so then they cut to um Wynwood Oklahoma at the GW Zoo and Joe Exotic sits down and he's got a tiger kitten in his lap and Eric Good tells him to take off his hat 
And <laughs> Joe says, oh, you don't want me to take off my hat because the whole audience will say, oh, my God, that guy has a mullet. Um, and that really is the least of it. He has a two-toned, completely hat-headed mullet. The it's a fantastic is- mullet. Let's just <laughs> agree with that. The top, well, it doesn't even look like a mullet as much as it looks like you just layered different hairstyles on top. Like the top <laughs> is bleached blonde. It looks like, like from the Three Stooges, it looks like <laughs> Moe's head ex- or haircut, except just blonde. <laughs> it looks like he has a blonde hat on. Underneath, it was brown. It was like crew cut on the sides. His mustache is that disgusting Fu Manchu mustache that's just dark brown. Like, none of the hair looks like any of the other hair. It's all different colors. It's, like, ridiculous. His skin is all leathered and wrinkled and just looks like he has never seen moisturizer in his entire (laughs) life. His eyebrow piercing is hanging on by a thread. He's, I mean... He looks like if he sneezes, it's going to be out of there. Oh, my God. Gross. Like it's true. He's, he's disgusting. I mean, like, we make fun of Mariah's mullet from when we were kids, and this has nothing. Like, that has nothing on this dude's mullet. Oh, that's very true. Um, And so they they go about talking to Joe, and he says in 1999, he started building up this um, GW Zoo. I guess the zoo was named after, I think his brother's name was George, but he like the zoo is named after his brother that passed away in a car accident. And, um, but I, I mean, I had no idea why it was GW. Um, he says that he's got a bond with all of his cats. Um, and you know, you just see him kind of talking to people around his zoo or whatever. I mean, he just sounds like a carnival barker, like, it does not, I mean, it's just ridiculous. Like, he says something about if you get peed on by a tiger, we have a t-shirt in the gift shop for that. It's like, okay, like, what? Oh, okay. Um, the head zookeeper at the zoo um, found his job on Craigslist. And he said that he found a job when he was at the end of his rope. He said, and now look at me. I'm doing tiger shows. He is missing many teeth and he will not be the last person to be on this show with very few teeth in his mouth Hmm. um it's our first clue that meth is probably done pretty freely in winwood oklahoma um and probably maybe they got paid in meth a few days of their careers at this gw zoo it's quite possible Um, John Renke, who is a double amputee, has been the manager at GW Zoo for 14 years. Um, He very politically correctly says most of the staff is unique. Um, That's to say the least. Um, So then we also meet Rick Kirkham, who is the producer of Joe Exotic TV and I mean, I didn't know that was, like, a position that the world needed. Um, He says, all the employees are misfits, and Joe is the king of the misfits. Um, (laughs) I turned on the closed captioning, and it says, 
Joe is an, an entertainer by nature. He was pretty much the star of his own show. Okay, so we do meet Rick Kirkham, who is a producer of Joe Exotic TV. And he's like uh, a legit producer. Like, he used to work in an actual... Inside edition, yeah, right? Yeah, he actually... He's not like this, like, guy who says he wants to be a producer. He actually has worked in in media before. Which makes it even more odd that he is the producer of Joe Exotic TV. Maybe this was like a retirement job for him. Maybe he was just bored. I mean, I would hope. Okay, so we meet um, Saf, who seems like the most level-headed person like in probably that entire city in Oklahoma. Um, and then this is where things just start getting stranger and stranger. We see um, Joe Exotic in his homemade country music video. Which are fabulous. Uh, like, first of all, we all know this is a personal pet peeve of mine in his videos he messes up lip singing the words so like i mean like you're taping it you could just delete it and redo it correctly um you aren't live so just redo it but they don't um then the chiron on the screen says country music artist joe exotic um despite the fact there's absolutely no way that was actually him singing there's there's no way possible and i i googled and i think it was like two guys from like washington that actually wrote and performed the song oh. but joe like would insist to everybody that that was him it's like okay real, like do do it acapella then right now so staff says that joe filmed every single day from start to finish um like, we see Joe doing random things, like, eating alone. Like, I don't know why that needed to be, like, saved for posterity. Just sitting at a table eating by himself. Um, she said that he had this live TV show he would do for a number of his followers um, called Joe Exotic TV. Um, the filmmaker asks where the TV show airs, and Joe replies, on the internet, worldwide. Every night at six o'clock. Um, it's unclear if he means he has actual viewers across the world when he says worldwide or if he is referring to the World Wide Web. And he also makes it sound like it is a very rare thing that you are able to get on the internet and view anything ever made. Oh, I know. Like, my son can do a YouTube video and have his own TV show. It doesn't make it a thing. Um. I mean, he, you know, it's just like, it's, it's almost hard to watch just because the entire time I was like, this isn't, this is not real. This is not like people don't think like this, but they do. Um, then, um, Karkham comes back in saying, um, he had been doing video. Joe had been doing videos periodically for about a decade or so before Rick got there. He said he, Never had more than 80 people watching the thing live. Um, and I'm shocked that 80 people ever watched it, period. But um, I guess, you know, like he averaged 80 viewers, whatever. Rick very confidently tells us that when he walked in, he had all of his experience and his natural national reputation, which you already mentioned. But like, I, 
I kind of probably would have dumbed that down because like the thing is still a massive train wreck. <laughs> but they show um a clip of Rick in um on Inside Edition. Um I actually didn't think it was the same person at first because they looked like very, very different, but I think it really was him. Yeah, he looks um, very weathered. Um yeah. in his older years. Oh yeah. Well, and he says that he kept a video video diary since he was 14 that had more than 3000 hours filmed. Um and this also included when he was on Inside Edition and it said um during which he was addicted to crack cocaine. Um judging from the general demeanor and state of many of the employees teeth at GWSU, it makes a lot more sense that Rick signed on to produce Joe's joe exotics internet worldwide tv show um they show bill o'reilly on air saying if you watch us often you know one of our reporters rick kirkham is nuts then they cut to a segment and you hear a man's voice say with a mere touch of a flame it was instant kirkham kebab and this jackass lights himself on fire and walks around while a couple of kids hold out skewers with marshmallows on them as he yells hey mike get the charcoal uh, then they show him being thrown through a window for no apparent reason. And then he says, you know, I've done a lot of shit in my life, but I've never experienced anything like Joe Exotic. Uh, so, I mean, I think that says everything, right? There. Like, we literally watched someone set themselves on fire, and this was not shocking compared to Joe Exotic. Makes sense. Uh, Rick says he knew that Joe knew I could make him famous which is debatable because I never heard of either one of them before this documentary. Um, So I don't know, maybe by famous, he meant a joke. Uh, Rick says he took it to a new level because he made it look like a real television show. Um, And then we are treated to the world's cheapest intro. And it looks like we are about to watch a bootleg real world um, meth and redneck edition. Um, (laughs) Other employees say that nine times out of ten, the show shows were about animal rights activists and Carol down in Florida. The Carol they're referring to is Carol Baskin, um, a big cat rescue. And then they immediately cut to a montage of Joe saying Carol Baskin like a hundred different times in a hundred different episodes. Um, And Rick says that if Joe ever had an enemy in his life, it was Carol Baskin, which, I mean, that says a lot. This man looks like he has a lot of enemies, um, like common sense, personal hygiene, (laughs) singing ability, vanity. Um, (laughs) Then we get to see this bitch, Carol Baskin, (laughs) who is the CEO of Big Cat Rescue, which she says is the world's largest accredited sanctuary that is devoted entirely to caring for big cats. Um, Joe says that since 2006, they've been in a pissing match over tigers. Um, Then we cut to this bitch sitting in a cage saying, if there's one thing I know for sure, it's that big cats don't belong in cages. As the camera pans out to a tiger walking around, in a bigger cage behind her. Uh, So Joe says he saw where she called his zoo a trashy roadside zoo, which 
I mean, I don't see the lie, but he says she was trying to say that he was abusing tigers and that she was trying to run him out of business. Um, and then, so they, the filmmaker goes to Big Cat Rescue in Tampa, Florida, and and as they pull up the passenger in his car says oh here's carol and the filmmaker was like oh she's dressed perfectly she looks like if rose nyland from the golden girls went to coachella like this is what she looks like as they pull up um she's like asking him if he wants her to do these different things like she's like do you want me to kneel down to do you can get me and the lion and the cage behind me on film um and by the way the the lion in the cage the cage is the size of like my dog bailey's cage yes like downstairs yes um so i mean i guess so much for big cats not belonging in cages and for one it like it, it looks like if the cat really felt like it it could just like blow the thing down it does not look like it's holding much back um like i mean she says some stuff about you can only be good at one thing and that she doesn't watch the news on television unless there is a cat involved and you know, she's walking him around to show him all of the various animals they have that are all in cages. Um, and she says she finds it amazing that wild animals can go from sweet to tearing your face off so quickly. Which, I mean, I think that isn't that like the basic point of all wild animals. Yeah, I was about to like say they don't. Have <laughs> they are wild like, animals, regardless of how tame they can be. They are always wild by nature. I mean, she says, I live, eat, and breathe, ending the captivity of wild cats. Like, I don't know how, like, she says it so much as she's walking around her land full of caged cats. And. Because she believes that she rescues them. Well, right. She says she's fixing the problem. I mean, she does try to give some excuse. Like, if if a, a tiger, you know, was captive in a zoo, then you can't go release him to Africa which I think there's probably steps in between there that you probably could do that. But, you know, it's, it's an excuse and a justification of why, you know, she, it's fine that she does it. Um, Cause she says that the difference between a zoo and the big cat rescue is that they are fixing the problem. Whereas zoos like Joe's is creating the problem. So she's just trying to say, like, well, the cats I have are, you know, because I've taken them from these other zoos. And so, basically, she absolves herself of any responsibility. Like, like, look, I mean, she's clearly rich. If she really wanted to, she could buy a whole bunch of land and, like, fence it in, like, Jurassic Park style and let these things, like, run wild. Um, but, I mean, they're all in cages, like, that are not even as nice as my dog's cage. Um, and it, I mean, it just reminds me of like when my mom used to be like, finish your food. They're starving kids in Africa. I was like, okay, well, whether or not I eat this food, they're still going to be starving in Africa. I was like, oh, but so she's saying that a tiger needs 400 square miles of territory in the wild, that no cage will be sufficient. And she says, the reason why we have, um, the reason they put the cats in cages is to provide them a safe place to live until they die. 
Um, so I'm glad that was all cleared up. I was starting to think she was doing the exact same thing and just calling it a rescue. Uh, she's walking through her big cat cemetery talking about the different cats that have died. Her husband is following two steps behind her looking as wimpy and pathetic as you could expect. And then she all of a sudden she turns and like snaps at him. She's like, you're following me again. And he like starts laughing like nervously. Um, And she's like, did you want to talk? Did you want to read some of the names? You can read some of the names if you want. And he's like, no, 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 it's fine. You go. She's like, no, 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 you can read a name. I mean, you want it to be in the frame, right? Just read the name. And then he says um, that Carol is the mother of, the mother Teresa of cats. I wrote this quote down specifically because it is my favorite quote of the entire episode yeah i think it's fair to say that carol is the mother Teresa of cats like uh, oh my god i think it's fair to say that he's well aware that her last husband is presumed to be dead and that she fed him to the tigers and that's in a whole different episode (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then she says, she's like, oh, you're so wonderful. And she leans in for one of those hugs that, you know, like you're pretending it's genuine, but it's like either your kid or like you're like abusing your spouse and you lean in like you're hugging them and you're like, what the shit? Like, and you just know, like, she's like locking her nails into his skin being like, you better cut the shit. Um, Or like don't even try to ask for help on camera and i mean this i could probably talk about this idiot for like days like she says to the the camera she goes i've never been a person that has friends and so my friends were two imaginary white cats like first of all no shit second of all your cats weren't even real you had imaginary cats she i mean she's ridiculous she says she's always had cats in her life and she's always felt a certain affinity for them but she is also Um, allergic to them yeah she she is just like every fucking contradiction in the world all in one um she reminds me do you i don't know if you ever remember this but like back when they used to put those like cartoons in papers like she reminds me of that old Kathy comic come to life like the lady who's just like fat and perpetually single and like just lives with cats <laughs> um yeah I wrote down here um I said she says she's allergic to cats I paused the show and put my head in my hands because I'm on my fourth page of notes front and back and I'm 15 minutes and seven seconds into the episode oh my god <laughs> I was like, this is this is gonna be a seventeen hour podcast. And <laughs> <laughs> like they're like he's fought like the my other favorite thing about this documentary is the filmmaker seems to just like follow them around and just very loosely pretend like he even cares about whatever reason he's given them that he's there. He just has his people like like just roll it just roll it because they show all these like behind the scenes things where he's like walking them around he's like he asked her to tell him about a room that everything had 
a pattern and she's like oh yes it's um it's cat prints that's the pattern it's like oh i i think he got that like i think he was being sarcastic um but literally everything she owns is in cat print oh yeah (laughs) the next thing i wrote i said carol admits that most of what she wears are cat prints and I need a moment to get over this shocking piece of information. <laughs> <laughs> she says when she goes to meet with legislators, legislator, she goes in head to toe cat prints. So people remember, oh, that's the person that's going to be all over my case about why cats need to be protected. I'm real sure. Um, I also realized at this point, she only put eyeliner in the bottom lid of her eyes. And it really wasn't a good look. She just looked extra tired. Um <laughs> And then the filmmaker's like, Carol, you even have cat luggage. And then it seemed like she was trying clothes on for him in her closet, like, which is very weird. Yeah, that was weird. That was then, real oh. weird. And then we get to go back to Joe Exotic's gift shop, and he's showing off that they have. Did you write down everything? Oh, I did. I did too. I did. He says, I have honey, barbecue sauce, steak sauce, skin cream, sex gel for you and for her. And not the best seller in the gift shop is the Tiger King underwear line. Um, and my favorite part was when Eric Good asks him if he wears them himself. And Joe says, I don't wear underwear. Of course he doesn't. So then he clarifies saying, oh, you don't wear underwear? And Joe goes, no, free ball it. And he says it in such a way that it's like, like, what are you talking about? Like, you wear underwear? That's the weird thing. Like, he shows off his two Hollywood magazine covers which I'm pretty sure they were, it's not an actual magazine. I feel like that's like when you went and did your glamour shots by Deb at the mall and they could make it look like you had a magazine cover. I feel like that's what it was. Or is it and Hollywood, then, Florida? I mean, either way, I don't think it's a real magazine that ever printed anything. <laughs> I think it's just he he did glamour shots at the mall. Yeah. Um, and he also has music albums um he names the i saw a tiger and starstruck as being two of his biggest albums and then we are treated to clips from his music videos um which i mean even first of all it's bad enough that you know he's not singing or writing any of these songs but like the people that are are awful at it as well like i mean what was that tiger thing? It was like, I saw a tiger and the tiger saw a man. Like, what is that? Like, oh, God. Oh, and then we get to meet his ex-husband? Yes. Joe F- John Finley. Um, and he does all of his interviews shirtless for some reason. And he's missing many, many teeth. Um, Let's just say most met- teeth. Yeah. Because there were probably like, Joe. Like, three in there. <laughs> I mean, that that is generous. Yeah. Um, he said he met Joe a month after he graduated high school and that he was with Joe from 2003 to 2014. And we are treated to just various pictures of their time together. Um, and I noted at the beginning, he had teeth and not at the end. Um. He said that Joe showed him love and he learned how big his heart was and how much to care. 
And what I hear is Joe showed me meth and I learned how big an addiction is yes. and how much I need to do for my meth allowance every week. Yes, that is exactly uh, it. We see very corny and embarrassing videos. Um, and now this this part I did think was sad. Joe said that he knew he was gay when he was 13 and he said that when his dad found out he made Joe shake his hand in front of his mom and promise not to come to his funeral. Yeah, that was And then um, he said that Joe said he had issues with that for obvious reasons. So he drove his car off a bridge and he broke his back and spent five years basically in braces and he had gone to Florida to do his therapy and that's how he kind of got involved in the um, zoo stuff because his neighbor was manager of lion country safari and would bring home like baby tigers and lions and monkeys to bottle field bottle feed at night um and that's where well he says that's where his attraction to exotic animals began and i just find it weird that he says attraction um and he says that the animal rights people keep saying that he can't have his tigers um now the whole thing about like his family is very sad like i i i don't know i mean i guess it was a different time and it would be hard for some parents i just can't imagine that anybody cares that much about like like you just want your kid to be happy yeah but But, like you said it was a different time and and they're very old school and yeah and that you know unfortunately that was how things were back then yeah which is sad yes um i mean i think his dad probably like had many more reasons to like ban him from his funeral like that had nothing to do with him being gay um but I mean, I just, I couldn't imagine like saying that to my kid. Um, but I thought like, I mean, the people that we meet, it's just like the next one is worse than the one before, because then we get to meet Dr. Bhagavan Doc Antle, who says that the animal rights activists want the lion's share of money, but don't want to share the lion. Um, he definitely practiced that line. Like you could tell he felt very, very like impressed that he, he got it out the way he wanted to. He just, he's such a dipshit. Like, and I Googled him, like his doctorate is in some like Chinese medicine or something. Like, I don't even know if it's a real thing. Um, and then we see Carol Baskin's husband, who I never even bothered to look up his name. I just, every time I took down a note, I put Carol Baskin's husband. Um, says that Doc Antle is like Joe, except that Antle is much more sophisticated and much smarter. He's fearless. And then they show this jackass, like, a biting on a tiger's bottom lip, like a big, giant weirdo. Uh, and he's standing there like roaring like first of all like even if you're not that scared of animals like I wouldn't bite my dog's lip let alone like first of all that's disgusting like first you know he had a mouthful of hair and I'm sure there's like flies and dirt and probably rabies in there and then he's showing the filmmaker around his property in Myrtle Beach and a side note we've actually been to his zoo before (laughs) nice 
that I didn't realize that until Dan was like, remember when we went there? And I was like, no, I don't. I did write down that tickets to Doc Antle's, um, uh, what do we want to call it? Facility. Um, oh my God. Or like, well, first of all, I will tell you right now, we did not pay any $300. Three to, to $600. That must be for the, um, you think that's the one the, with like the like, pictures and stuff like that? Yeah, it's got to be where like you get to hold a baby tiger, or take a picture with the tiger or something. Because like, first of all, like it wasn't very like that nice of a place, and like I know Dan wouldn't have paid more than like thirty bucks. Yeah. For that. Um, but my personal favorite was when he's showing Eric the filmmaker around his property, and he's like. He's like, okay, well, why don't you walk up to my crib and I'll open the door and say, oh, yeah, like, hi, come on in. And um, he produced himself. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and then my favorite thing is the filmmaker's like, good idea. I like that Doc is better at directing than yeah. we are. And he did not catch the sarcasm in that at all. He just is like, yeah, no, I got it. Um. And then he, like, you know, after his saddest cribs intro ever, he shows good around his house. And he's, like, sitting there. He's like, I'm Dr. Bhagavan Antle and spells it like we're in a goddamn spelling bee. (laughs) And then, like, we see a lady introducing him at the safari and here he rides in on On an elephant. It was amazing. and he said that he built the preserve where people can have an interactive, up-close, and uncaged experience with wildlife. Um, which, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that I want an uncaged experience with wildlife. Maybe not a Things big can, one. Like, rip my face yeah, off. Yeah, maybe not a big one. Maybe like a tame baby tiger. I mean, <clears throat> can you give it a lot of Xanax before <laughs> I get in there? Because... I don't trust any of it. Like a baby tiger could still rip my throat out. I'm pretty confident. Yeah. And they put those things right up to your face. Oh yeah. Like, and when they're doing this stuff and he's like walking around, like posing them next to their face, it's like, there's no way, like I'd be so terrified that thing would turn and bite me. Oh gosh. But, um, well, Doc says it just, that Carol Baskin lady have like a video of one of his tigers like eating a kid what yeah or like maybe a bit of kid no she's right yeah yeah she's right there was I can't remember at what point was it in that episode I think it might have been later in the episode but I just remember um, Carol Baskin saying something about having a video of like I guess someone oh you're right yes yeah yes they didn't show the kid though they didn't show the video right uh I think they showed like the shortest clip yeah they did show yeah like you didn't see it actually biting him I don't think no No. it was just like the kid screaming and like getting pulled away yeah 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 yeah. he just oh god he 
he's the worst. Um, he says that he is so popular um, and that he is well known as a big cat guy around the world and that people who are against people having relationships with animals, period, want to destroy him because he is out there in the forefront, so known of being this guy that is in love with big cats and then has them love him back, which the way they talk about stuff just seems so weird. Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, I like my animals, but I'm not going to be like, I'm in love with my See, dog. Like, I I'm, think no. people who, who take in these, these wild animals, I, I think they are just like a different breed of person, especially these people. Like, uh- for like, sure there are some people out there who want to you know look after and care for these animals they show um john the manager at the gw zoo saying that joe wanted to be like doc Antle so badly that he sent his people to check him out so that they could start doing the same things and joe says that doc taught him quite a bit about how to market and make money off the zoos and that's how joe started the cub petting experiences and joe says the animal rights people say cub petting is abuse joe thinks it's an education tool that people only care about saving what affects them so you set a baby tiger in a family's lap and they fall in love with this baby tiger and you have 15 minutes of their undivided attention to say look we got to save the rainforest because you're killing this baby tiger as you know where he came from they leave with a whole different attitude. And Doc, Doc Antle says that they believe that the incredible up-close experiences make a connection between them and the wi- wild world, opening their hearts and their wallets for us to do our worldwide conservation work. Which is basically just like, no, I'm going to take your money and then I'll like maybe donate tiny amount to like some conservation if they even do that yeah but oh yeah i feel like if i were to go to one of these places like i already know that you know not to mess with a big cat or to like shoot i mean I, i don't know i don't i don't understand like i'm not gonna walk out of there with like this empowered knowledge of of these animals like i know that they're wild i know that they're vicious i know they can bite my face off i knew that going in well yeah and i think people go to these zoos and have these up close experiences because we're so like ingrained in thinking about like how different liability will affect businesses so we assume if people are there then it's been like vetted and checked out and the the risk is very low even though this whole documentary showed that's like not even a thought in their minds about like how to make sure people are safe like I mean I think I heard Carol Baskin say like three times throughout just that one episode that you know you can only do these like cub petting things from like what when they're like two weeks to like 12 12 to 16 weeks 
and that so what they end up doing is they just breed the tigers over and over and over they always have like plenty of babies to do these things and then once they're 12 weeks old it's kind of like yeah fuck it like and carol also claims that she does not breed them joe exotic does she says but she does not breed them yeah i guess what she says is basically like she goes and takes them like her stance is saying that like she goes and takes them after the 12 weeks after they've made their money off it and then they go to her rescue um is what i took from it um oh yeah i'm like then i have the part written down where he asks doc Antle what about his admission prices and he says 339 is the starting price there are people that paid 625 and 655 for their tours he says it's a dynamic price like an airline ticket depending on how many people are coming the price goes up and then we see a guy saying you can't put a price on holding a baby tiger and doc Antle says it costs about ten thousand dollars a year to feed each animal and that he feeds his tigers super quality food that anyone would be happy to eat. And I know they don't really get into it on this episode, but I've seen the whole thing before. And, like, it's just disgusting. Then, like, they cut to Joe, where he says he can feed a tiger for 3000 a year. And he says he has 227 tigers. So Joe is spending close to three quarters of a million dollars a year on feeding tigers. Um, he says that they all work their asses off trying to lower the price and as they're as he's saying that they're showing employees hacking up like a dead cow in the back of trucks he says feedlots give them five to seven cows a day and that highway patrol and game wardens call them to come pick up roadkill that they then bring back and give to the animals Um, they show the tigers when they get the cows in and is absolutely oh i was gonna say that slow motion it ripping apart the meat and i was like that is that was like Like, one part i definitely because they do it in slow motion and and like the oh it's you see like all the muscle Mm -hmm. ripping it's like so fucking gross thank you i was like yep uh -uh." i had to look away i could not even i couldn't even stand that yeah i mean it's and not many things disgust me like that (laughs) yeah he said that he needs 30 cows a day to feed his tigers like 30 dead cows a day um and then they oh god they show an employee showing a couple of kids a baby tiger and he does a remix of the i'm a little teapot where he says i'm a baby tiger short and stout this is my tail and this is my mouth i'm gonna bite you and it's gonna hurt so why will i bite you because i'm a jerk and he's very pleased with himself and like thinks this is very clever and he's like looking at everybody like he just you know dropped the mic at a rap battle and he's eminem and like the parents are like just basically like doing that whole like polite laugh like you're like oh yeah you're funny and the kids only laugh Um, because he said jerk yeah i mean or because like he smiled real big and they saw he had less teeth than they did. Um, and 
So then Joe starts talking about his brother and he's saying that the zoo was him and his brother's dream that in 1997, his brother was moving their sister to Florida from Dallas and he made it 40 miles before a drunk semi driver hit him. So he has a tattoo of his brother on his forearm and he said when he signed the papers to shut his life support machine off and donated his organs, he promised him that he would not be just another statistic that the people of the world would know who he is. So he named his zoo after his brother. Um, and then they just start showing videos. Um, they start in 2004 and Joe says he went to schools and talked to them about drugs and alcohol. And they have the audacity to show this man, like, cutting to the video. Well, he said that they wouldn't pay attention to him just talking. So he'd bring in animals. So he said that um, he's asking the kids, what do we say to drugs? We say no to drugs because drugs will make your teeth fall out and you will get really ugly and you won't have any friends. Which the guy paused because I started laughing so hard. And, like, wondering how his staff and husbands felt watching that. <laughs> like, and I assumed up to this point the staff was paid in meth anyway. Um, his husband and, was certainly given an allowance of it. Oh, God. I mean, it's, they're hard. It's, it's hard to watch. Because it's, like, a very specific look, I think, when people have, like, meth problems. Maybe it's because I used to watch a lot of intervention. But, like, you can just like it's not like oh like I had bad dental work kind of a look like I don't know it's just it's awful isn't it like black teeth and rotting teeth and no teeth because they've just fallen right out of your mouth yeah I guess I mean I think I would probably just have my teeth removed and go with dentures but I mean, I guess they're like, well, why would I buy dentures when I can get like fifty bags? Exactly. Yeah. Money? Is is um, M still asleep? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> then I wrote. Then proving that Tiger King is the gift that keeps on giving, Joe lets us know that in addition to bringing animals to his school speeches, he also added some magic in there as well. Um. <laughs> and they show like clips of it and his toothless meth mouth husband John Finley says Joe's magic show was actually pretty cool John lets us know he had a 12 year old kid showing him how to do magic tricks and then we are introduced to J.P. Wilson who like the car kind of shows up like occupation magician <laughs> like okay he's sitting awkwardly on what looks like his Mima's bed holding an overweight house cat jp says he met joe when he was in the eighth grade as he is talking we see pictures of them in one jp and joe are standing next to their poster advertising joe's magic and it reminds me of like when you were in elementary school and you had that project that you forgot to start until the day before it was due and, like, it's a homemade poster that says, Mystical Magic of the Endangered, starring Joe Exotic. Lions, Tigers, Magic, Oh My. Two hours of nonstop action. And this is where I wondered where, if Joe's struggles were really with keeping people's attention 
if that had more to do with expecting people to sit around for two hours listening to him talk than it did with people like just not caring about what he was saying um and then this poor kid like he paints his face like he is a mime and so he starts working with joe at 12 and goes on interviews with joe and like like i was sitting there wondering what mother lets this kid go off with this obviously insane very odd man I don't know. I know we're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but I can tell you if Daniel came home <laughs> and was like, oh, hey, I just got hired to teach Joe Exotic Magic, so we we're going to start a school assembly tour, I would be like, oh, yeah, I'm real sure you will never leave this goddamn house ever again. <laughs> like, Bless you. At the very, very least, I would be asking, like, is one of the magic tricks that he's showing you is, um, like, hide the pickle because... <laughs> No, like, I mean, it just, I mean, he just looks so, like, I mean, that just seems so weird. Like, first of all, I'd be like, what old man wants to learn magic, for one? And, like, two, it's not like this kid was good at magic. He painted his face to look like a mime. And he, like, they didn't even really show any sort of Well, weren't they, like, the most basic of the basic magic tricks of like hiding the rabbit well, in yeah the i mean hat. it was like my dad's yeah like my dad's magic trick of like acting like his like thumb came separated yeah. like oh god and th- i mean that's also like how do you let your kid like even go talk to somebody like joe just looks like he smells like cigarettes alcohol and animal shit <laughs> and like body odor and like you just know like it's like I would just be like, uh, no, like you need to take like fifty showers first, and then maybe we can talk. Like I don't, I don't know, I don't understand. He's like, oh yeah, twelve, yeah, go on a magic tour of schools. Like that's a thing. I just, okay. and then John starts talking about his school slash mall tour, and that he says that when they first started out, they were crammed in a in a semi semi truck, and that fourteen people were crammed in the cab of a semi. Like, obviously, they're real concerned about safety. Like, 14 people in the cab of... You couldn't even fit 14 people Have in the Have you seen van. a cab of a semi? No. Um, I haven't, but I don't imagine that it's... Roomy. Uncle Jamie used to drive truck. And I was in his truck one time just to see what it looked like, because I had no idea what they looked like. And... And it, there is, like, room in the back, but I'm telling you, like. And not 14 people were. Right. So there's, like, two up front and then probably, like, maybe four sitting on what would be, like, the bed. Maybe four. That's probably generous. And so then you've got, what, eight people probably sitting on the floor. And it, it would it would literally be packed. Yeah, but, and, like, who lets a 12-year-old son, like, go off with that? And be like, oh, really? Like, get real. Like, why are all, who, like, what, the driver, does the driver even have room to drive? Uh, not much. Anyway, so, Susan Bass says she was hired by um, Carol and her husband to track Joe and convince the malls to not allow him to exploit cubs. And they hired somebody to follow Joe 
and report what mall they were going to next. They would find out who the owners of the mall were and email them, text them, call them, send the media out there, anything they could think of. Um, and I guess I really did just think this guy's name was Bob because I put Bob says when they <laughs> started, they, so I definitely just made up his name. Um, he says when they first started, they may generate 500 emails. Um, Carol interjects. And she's very proud that eventually it got up to thousands of emails. And then eventually the mall stopped booking him. Kai is like not, it was more trouble than it was worth even fielding those emails. Um, and then they cut to staff saying that sometimes the, the mall shows paid the bills for the entire winter. So it was definitely a big loss for them and their team. Um, and she said, but Joe was a hustler. And so then they see Joe advertising private playtime with a baby tiger. And we see him holding baby tigers up so people can take a picture with it. And um, Carol says that anybody that poses with exotic animals is a problem because it promotes breeding. And they cut to Shaq shouting out exotic Joe and saying he got two new tigers um, on inside the NBA. So then, Dog Antle is back directing the filmmakers how to make their But movie. did we talk about yet um, the tiger selfies? Um, no. Because I wrote that down before Shaq. Okay, yeah. Okay, so. Oh, is that when he's walking around just holding them up like it's like an assembly line? No, no, no. This is like where they show, I forget, some late night guy talking about the tiger selfies and then how it's like a big trend. Oh. Oh, on like Tinder and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, on like dating sites and stuff. And I I think it's like Stephen Colbert or something. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, they're, yeah, that was the next. Um, did it in part of like that like scene or whatever Joe Exotic said something about like even at that age like their claws could come out and still like get you oh yeah he just I mean they were just ridiculous Um, yeah so it says Um, that it went back to Joe doing cup holding and he says the toenails you gotta watch because they can rip off your face yeah and yeah yeah so I don't know I maybe I wrote it down out of order because I have that like throughout Mm -hmm. but I I don't have it before the show and we'll just skip it um but so after the shack thing then I have that the like Doc Antle is back and he's like (laughs) like acting like he's the director of everything um and he's showing videos himself of himself on different late night talk shows and he keeps doing this like cheesy like talk show host voice um and he like his he'll point at the tv he's like here i am long ago on letterman with my black panther and like like i was rolling my eyes so hard at the tv like i would not have been able to make this like film i would have been like you've got to get real like although good for the the actual filmmaker because he definitely saw like okay this is what it's gonna really be 
Well, uh, one thing I definitely um, noticed and made a note about was his fantastic mustache on Leno. Oh, yeah. Well, so he says something about he's on Letterman with his Black Panther, and then the TV shows Jay Leno with a lion, like not Letterman or a Black Panther. And he, when he was Marvelous Bhagavan, the magic man, that's what, that's what I wrote. Like with his stupid flowy hair and his 70s porn star mm-hmm. stash. And then he says, like, he he's going, this was me when I was Marvelous Bhagavan. He said the, the Cubs played themselves. Like, okay. He, like, he's the worst. That's what I wrote. I said, um, he says the Cubs played themselves as if, as if this was actually some bullshit someone casted him to do. He is the worst. And so then this jackass says he grew up a professional cowboy in a family of professional cowboys. He moved to Yogaville in Buckingham, Virginia, which I've heard of neither. Um, he said he, oh, they show him taking Tiger's bumper car riding and he put some in his lap to go down a water slide. He said that Hollywood, Hollywood came calling and he made 500 gigantic international movies. Um, Ace Ventura, Jungle Bug, Dr. Doolittle, Mighty Joe Young, to name a few. Um, and I wonder if Jim Carrey was like, oh God, you had to say Ace Ventura. <laughs> um, and that's when I said, uh, my note says, we go back to Joe doing cub holding and he says, the toenails you got to watch because they can rip off your face. Joe says that from the time they are four weeks old through 16 weeks old, you can profit 100000 on a on a single cub. Um, between interaction, playtime photos, etc. Like, that's just, I guess that's how they make the majority of their money. And I do see where, like, if that's true, where, you know, they're breeding them for these, to make the money off these interactions, and then Carol's having to take them all in at Big Cat Rescue afterwards, then, like, I guess I can kind of understand where she's trying to say she's providing a service but, but i just don't really think she's that much better than is that. she really taking in joe's animals well probably not they they talk about how in 2001 in zanesville ohio 50 wild animals that were kept on a private farm had been deliberately set loose and then you know they show the press conference with the sheriff listing you know like there was like a baboon and three mountain lions 18 tigers and that you know 48 of the 50 animals that were set loose were killed and of course dog Antle goes on hln saying it's not that having lions and tigers is bad unto itself it's the way he took care of them that made that take place properly managed wildlife can become a great tool for wildlife education um and then they show um, a CBS interview that Joe Exotic was a part of. And the interviewer says, the president of the Humane Society called this place the GW Zoo. And I quote, a ticking time bomb and potentially 10 times worse than Zanesville. Uh, Joe's response is, it is a ticking time bomb. If somebody thinks they're going to walk in here and take my animals away, it's going to be a small Waco. The interview says, wow, that's a pretty powerful statement. Joe says, it is a powerful statement because I've poured my entire life into what I do. Nobody is going to walk in here and freely shut me down and take my rights away from me as long as I'm not breaking the law. Um, 
Which, and then he seems entirely shocked that he ends up on, like, FBI watch lists after this. Um, like, I don't, I mean, obviously, none of these people have very much impulse control. They're all doing meth and, like, just trying to raise money off, like, you know, breeding these animals that are only good for, like, what, like, maybe two or three months of, like, milking money out mm-hmm. of them. And um, then they show the sheriff roads of Garvin County, Oklahoma, and he's saying they have their share of crimes. And then there's Joe Exotic and that there was a lot of back and forth between the sheriff's office and Joe and the GW Zoo. Joe is on video saying, if you're an animal rights person and you try to come into this facility, this is what you're going to be greeted with. And it cuts to a video of John Finley shooting guns and like lighting off explosives Joe says, this is my little town. I'm the mayor, the prosecutor, the cop, and the executioner. And, I mean, it's just like, I don't understand how you act like that. And then you act surprised that people, like, might not think that you should have these animals and be, like, allowing the access you're allowing. I think he's Um, a very paranoid person, probably because he knows what he's... Oh, for sure. Yeah, he knows what he's doing is wrong, I do believe that he does love the animals. I don't doubt that. But. Well, I think even if he didn't think what he's doing was wrong, or even if he had the best of intentions, like, I don't believe everybody in that, that compound is doing meth and Joe isn't partaking in Mm -hmm. anything. So he's probably doing Coke or meth or both. And, you know, they've got uppers and downers in their system. So, like, I'm sure he's all over the place because of that. Like, that that stuff makes you very paranoid mm-hmm. as well. And, you know, like, for him, if that's how he's made his money. And I do think that with Joe, I get the impression that, like, he feels, at least, like, these people that care about him, like, his staff and his husbands, are probably, like, in his head only there because, like, they get you know they get paid and you know like he's taking care of them so they need him and I think he maybe confuses like a need with love um even though those people might be I mean I do think some of them genuinely do like him and it has nothing to do with that I just get the impression that's how Joe feels about himself so that's kind of how like that's why he's so desperate to keep it because as long as they're depending on him and they're running their little thing, then he feels like he's loved and appreciated. And so when that stuff goes away, like he is, you know, frustrated and desperate to hold mm-hmm. on to it. Um, I mean, and then we see like a truly bizarre moment where John Rinky has a gun in his hand and he says, you know, after the video, the Waco deal, when Joe said that, he said, me and Joe made a pact. If anything went bad, we were going to shoot each other. Um, I wrote, okay. He says, on that day, I put our names on our bullets right here. And he's showing, like, the bullets with the names on it. In my head, I'm like, okay, well, that seems really stable. Like, And, I mean, this seems insane. They have... Like, they predominantly are marketing to people, like, families. Like, you have kids going through there, and this is, like, what you think is acceptable to, like, keep all these firearms and, you know, like, oh, you know, it's going to be another Waco, and, like, you're putting your name on bullets. Like, it's just very bizarre. Well, Joe and... is 
is never without a firearm though and then they show another video where joe is saying like i've defended myself since 2006 against people for the ethical treatment of animals um PETA says they've had joe as one of their targets for a very long time and then <laughs> i wrote both joe and doc Antle have an insane amount of firearms um Joe points out that Carol Baskin is a big old hypocrite. He says, big cat rescues open to the public. They do boat tours, night tours, day tours, kid tours, kid camps, weddings, etc. We hear Carol talking to a group of people at Big Cat Rescue, asking them if they take any pictures that they should be tagging Big Cat Rescue on Instagram. Um, And then, you know, you just see a bunch of different people showering Carol with compliments. Um, one woman actually said it was the Ritz Carlton of rescues. Oh yeah. Like, which clearly you've never been to a Ritz Carlton. (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, and I do think that, I do think that to an extent, probably all of them at least lie to themselves enough that they believe that that's how they feel. Like that they're just trying to like bring awareness or like they, maybe they have like an intention to make something good out of whatever it is. But I think all of them are just extremely short-sighted in, you know, like Carol, like maybe she seems a little bit better than Joe and Doc Ansel because she's saying that she's trying to rescue them but I don't really think what she's doing is all that different from what Joe and Doc Ansel are doing no not at Um, all and you know like I don't know how you can sit there and like denounce them as you are like showing the animals on your rescue in worse conditions than the one Joe and Doc Ansel have like those cages on her property were so like small and flimsy like I don't under I mean if you really were a rescue and you really have like the money she has like I don't know why you wouldn't just buy like a few like a bunch of land that has like a few hundred acres or something and you could fence it all in and just let them like parcel it out so that they can roam free and like you know you have different levels of security around it but it's not you're you're doing the same thing they are like you're wanting people to come and you're asking people to pay and it's the same. Even if you want to tell yourself it's for a different reason, it's the same. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they show Rick Kirkham saying that in his opinion, Carol Baskin was as bad as Joe. Both were taking advantage of exotic animals to make money. And, you know, it, it, it does just become this like pit, like pissing match between Joe and Carol where, you know, Joe's claiming Carol profits over one and a half million dollars sucking on your heartstrings about shit on the internet that ain't even true, which I always thought the phrase was tugging (laughs) on your heartstrings, but, um, and then Carol says they're always trying to upset her on social media. Kirkham says that Carol Baskins would put something negative about Joe online about how he's bad or he's breeding cats and then Joe would go off on his internet show and it cuts to Joe saying I consider that bitch to be one of the biggest terrorists in the exotic animal world right now. Carol is shown on a radio show saying if you want info on Joe 
go to www.tigerabuse.com and she had a video. Oh, that's, that's where she had the video of the child getting bit on the leg at GW Zoo that Emily was talking about earlier. Oh, it was at GW Zoo, not Doc Antle's. Um, yeah, yeah, it was at the GW Zoo. And well, I liked at the beginning, I don't know if you remember this, but when they first started like introducing Joe and he's like, I love animals, blah, 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 they're whatever. And it shows like one of the tigers like dragging him around by his pant leg. Oh, yeah, it does. <laughs> and that guy, Doc Antle, says that Carol is just ruthless. Um, and so I guess Carol, she pushes, she starts trying to, like, push this Big Cat Public Safety Act that would end the ownership of big cats as exotic pets and prohibit exhibitors from allowing the public to have contact with them. So then what would she do Uh, if that bill got passed? Right. That's what I, like, I don't understand because she does the same thing. I guess she probably would, I guess that probably takes the private tours off her thing where she could probably jack up her prices if that goes through and then she doesn't have to deal with like the liability of somebody being up close to the animals but then she'll probably be like you know this isn't safe and like pushing people to to donate more because you know she's trying to help them i don't know i mean it's got to be a scheme somehow I don't think I don't think she just genuinely is like concerned for these animals because you wouldn't you could help them without profiting off them the way she does. And um, Doc Antle says that if this is passed, it will destroy private zoos. And then Joe publicly states that if Carol and her people bring Joe down, he believes that before they are able to, they will stop breathing. And, um, like, so I don't know why you threaten someone's life like that in public or, like, make these thinly veiled threats and then, like, you want to act shocked that you got arrested for a murder for hire plot. (laughs) Um, like, they show a clip where Joe says he heard it was Carol's birthday, so they're shipping her two of these and he's referring to poisonous snakes. And Carol says one day she went to the mailbox and opened it and it exploded with snakes. Like, I don't know that I believe her mailbox exploded with snakes, but I'm sure that there were some. Well, and if he sent them to her, he sent them to her in a package. So I doubt it was him who put them in there because they're in two totally different states. Well, that, yeah, because if he sent it to her for like exotic, I mean, like snakes are that like don't they just like you have to keep them at the same temperature so you'd have to send them like like she would have to sign for that the mail the mailman isn't just putting that in a right in a mailbox and i mean i would think like emily got ducks and there was this whole thing like they had to go to the mailbox or to the post office to pick it up so i'd imagine it's the same thing like if you have an exotic ship pet or um exotic pet shipped then like there's a lot that goes into it you can't just mail someone a couple snakes like um but i think that he probably like i would believe that he says stuff like that knowing that they're 
fans of his in that area that would probably go and do that to her to be like oh yeah we you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like for whatever and um Rick Kirkham says that Joe has a very nasty hate for Carol um they show him going into a gun shop and buying bullets and we hear um we see this like dirty disgusting looking mannequin and the filmmaker um is saying like oh Carol's taking a nap and like it's just this mannequin in the back of the truck or whatever that they're calling Carol and then they have target practice with the Carol mannequin and blow it up with dynamite um like I mean but you like you're putting this out there and then you're shocked that people are questioning whether or not you're doing things legally um and then at the end we get another prison call from Joe and he says I'm in a cage. Do you know why animals die in cages? Their souls die. I'm not going to be accused and go to prison and lose everything I have for things that other people did. Before this is over, I'm going to shut down everybody. And that's where episode one ends. Thank you for listening to True Crime, True Family. Follow us on our Twitter at TCTFP and Instagram at TCTF Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us where you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Please leave a rating and review. We appreciate all the feedback. Join us next week.